Hey, this is the podcast of Sue Wesleyan Church's sermon from our Sunday worship services. I'm Pastor Brooks, the one who usually teaches here. Whether you're a regular attender or just listening in for a sample of what our church is like, I really hope this benefits your growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so we're starting this new series, right, on work as worship. Um, uh, today, we're going to talk about, you know, some things about how we are to interact at work, how we are to work, why we work, those kinds of things. And, and I'm excited about it because we have some college students who are back. Who are my college students here? Okay, so we've got quite a few college students in this service as well. Uh, we've also got the kids with us in this service, which is exciting. And, and one of the things I thought about as I was preparing is that, you know, the question that you college students are going to be asked today probably a hundred times before you leave here, and the questions that we always ask kids is, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? What are you going to study? What's your major? What do you want to do with your life? And, and we see kids that get excited as they think about the future. I know when I was a kid, if you were going to ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would tell you that I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Okay, I grew up in the, the Top Gun era. It was, a, it was a big thing, and so I was, like, super excited. I would draw pictures, um, like, with crayons of me flying a fighter jet with my mom riding the back flying over McDonald's. Um, she actually has that framed in our house still from, like, 30-something years ago. Uh, but I would get really excited. But what happened with, with me is that uh, I rode the pirate ship at the fair, the one that, you know, goes back and forth, and I got really sick. And so I figured that, like, the pirate ship thing, or the, the fighter pilot thing probably wasn't going to work out for me. Plus, I had bad eyes. Um, and so, interestingly, interestingly enough, though, I kind of stumbled my way into the Coast Guard and became a sailor, and that's what I've been doing uh, for the last 20 years. So, so go figure, right? right? But when we're kids, we get really excited about the future and about what we're going to do. And then, and then we get to college, and for you college students, it's getting a little more real now, right? It's getting a little more serious, like... Okay, welcome to being an adult. You're 18. Now decide what you want to do for the rest of your life, and it'll cost you about $40,000, okay? And, and it's, it's kind of a daunting thing to step into college, right? You're, you're getting closer and closer to that reality that we all face at some point. For me, it was right after high school. For some of you, you know, it was while you were working your way through college. For some of you, it's not until after you graduate. But we all come face-to-face with that reality that I need a job. Right, I've got bills to pay, maybe I've got mouths to feed, and, and I need to do something to put some money in my pocket. And so that excitement kind of wears off, and while it seems like everyone else is out there doing their dream job, you know, uh, for like fly fishing in Colorado or, you know, some awesome job like that, you're like stuck in a truck stop scrubbing toilets, right? That's the, that was the worst job I could think of. But the reality for many people, even those who are doing exactly what they always hoped that they would do, is that the wonder and the excitement wears off and we come face to face with the fact that work can be the most frustratingly rewarding, painfully fun, monotonously exciting, the best day, the worst day, and everything in between, cry yourself to sleep and laugh until you cry experiences you'll ever undertake. It runs the gamut of emotions. And if you talk to a dozen people in this room about work, you would get a dozen different responses. You know, for some, it would be a sense of excitement. For some, if you start talking about work on Sunday, the knot in the stomach comes and they start getting that anxiety. For some people, it would be frustration. For others, it would be joy. But still, even as adults, we still get asked that question, right? When you meet somebody new, that's like the first thing somebody says is, what do you do? Right? What do you do? Which means, where do you work or what do you do for a living? And so from a very early age and then all the way through our lives, we see that work is this huge part of our life. And, and while some of us were taught at least the basics of, you know, how to work hard, uh, how to show up on time, some basic job skills like that, many of us were never taught what God has to say about our work. 
What does God say about why we work or how we should work or how we should behave at work or where we should work or how do we deal with a difficult boss or how do we deal with, you know, a lazy employee or how do we deal with coworkers who are out to get us? You know, and a lot of us just kind of stumble through it and we just learn it by trial and error, the school of hard knocks. But what if I told you that God has an answer for you regardless of where you're at? It doesn't matter what your work situation is, God has an answer for you, whether it's, you know, your dream job or your I-just-need-to-put-food-on-the-table job, or even if you're a college student preparing for a job, God has something to say about where you're at. A guy named J.D. Greer came up with five points about uh, work as worship, and I'm going to share those with you today because, well, first of all, they're biblical truths that give us insight into God's design and purpose for work in our lives, and what I believe in my prayer is that these will speak to you and maybe even transform the way that you think about work. Okay, and I want to point out real quick too, when I, as we talk about these, we're including mothers in these. So if you're a mom and you're staying at home, you're managing a household, you're working with your children, these apply to you as equally as anybody out there in the workforce. So the very first point is this. Worshipful work fulfills God's purposes in creation. We're going to be in Genesis 2 to start out if you want to open there. Uh, the main scriptures for each point will be on the screen, but then the other ones I'm just going to read through because we've got a lot of scripture to read through today. Okay, so in Genesis 2, just flip there. I'm going to start in Genesis 1 because in Genesis 1, in the account of creation, we see this repetition, this pattern of God created and it was good. God created and it was good. God created and it was good. And then when God had finished creating everything, God looked at his creation and he said what? He said it is very good. God said it is very good. But you'll notice right away, from the very beginning, what it does not say is it does not say God created and it was perfect. Perfect would mean that it could not be improved upon. The Bible says and God says it was good. And so what did he do? We'll pick up in Genesis 2 verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. Go to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden. What did he place him there to do? He placed him there to tend it and watch over it. To tend it and to watch over it. And then verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So you see, before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned, when things were as good as they have ever been in the history of creation, in the history of the human race, it's never been as good as it was in that moment. There was work to be done. God placed them there to work in the garden. God made it very good, and then he gave men and women as creative beings created in his image. He gave us a role. He gave us work to do to make it better. He gave us work to do to improve upon it, to tend it, to care for it, to have dominion over it, to use our skills to improve upon the work that God started. And that work was to be a reflection of God's glory as a creative creator, an act of worship to our God. But then sin is introduced. So Adam and Eve sinned. And then God says this in Genesis three seventeen through 19. God says, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. Now that sounds more familiar to us, right? That sounds like the work we know, right? 
my job's tough. Like, this is not easy. And so for many of us, after, after this problem of sins, for many of us, work is now a compulsory act of survival. And that's why, for, for many of you, work is partially fulfilling, but it also wears you out, and it also causes undue stress in your life. You know, some of you even hate your job entirely, and, and that feeling that we have about work is the result of the curse of sin. But even with the curse of sin, we still see that God created us to work. Even though work seems futile at times, it still fulfills God's purpose in creation. There's a really cool passage of scripture in Exodus 31 I'm going to read to you. It starts in verse 1. God has just commanded Moses to tell the people to make all this stuff. They're going to build a tabernacle or a gathering place. They're going to build the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant, all of the furnishings of the tabernacle, the tables, the chairs, the dishes, the, uh, the garments that the priests would wear, every single thing they needed to make, right? And so check out what God tells Moses here. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and ex- expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman. Expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholiab, I didn't choose the names, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. That is an awesome passage of scripture. So, because we see that even after the fall, God still chooses to express his glory through the gifts and talents and skills that he gives to his people in relation to our work. And so that gift or that skill that you have or that interest that you have, that's not just something that you picked up. That is a gift that God has given you. You know, God can bless people miraculously, and he often does. But experience would tell us much more often that he blesses people through the work of someone else. I want you to think of something as simple as the chairs that you're sitting in right now. Every thread of that fabric was passed through a human hand. Somebody mined the product for the metal that would be made into that and shipped it to a place where somebody who was skilled in metalwork formed it into the frame of a chair. Someone, you know, sewed the upholstery on top of the cushion, bolted it all together, put a finish on the metal. Somebody loaded it onto a truck. Somebody drove that truck all the way to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. People from the church who work at the church and who serve here unloaded these seats, and they set them so that you would have somewhere comfortable to sit. That's such a small thing, but it's a huge blessing when you think about the lives that have been changed sitting in those seats. And, And when you think about it, everything from the foundation to the shingles on the roof can be looked at as a blessing. Somebody worked so that we could have those things. And so, you know, God created you with an ability to work. He gave you specific talents and desires and interests that for some of us point to very specific jobs and for others point towards uh, certain types of jobs. But the point is that no matter where we are or what we are doing, if we do it as an act of worship to glorify God, it fulfills his purpose in creation. Now, you might say that sounds nice, but work still isn't easy. It still makes work hard, right? God can give us all the skills and talents and abilities in the world, but work is still difficult. We still feel the effects of the curse of sin, even though we don't like it. J.D. Greer talked about a guy who said this. He said, Our generation insists that work be fulfilling and fruitful, that it fully fit our talents and our dreams, 
and that we be paid exorbitantly for it. So college students, okay, that is not reality. I'm just kidding. That's not the reality of the world, okay? That is the reality of the world that Adam and Eve used to live in before sin, right? In the real world, there's a balance, you know, between finding the perfect job and finding the job that pays the bills. So studying, like, how the Beatles music influenced architecture in Spain is probably not going to land you a job, okay? Ravi Zacharias once told a story about a nephew who was going to college and he was majoring in philosophy, And Ravi said to him, he said, nephew, do you know the difference between a philosopher and a large pizza? And his nephew said, no. And Ravi said, a large pizza can feed a family of four. (laughs) Took a minute here too, right? You get it? Right, but here's the thing, okay? Even if you chose the perfect major, even if you chose and found the perfect job, uh, you know, you may find yourself for a season working a job that pays the bills. Some of you are working that job right now. Some of you have spent your entire lives working a job that that makes you miserable, but it also makes ends meet, and so you stick with it. Okay, so the question is then, what do you do if you're in a job where you're just trying to survive from day to day? Well, there are a few answers, right? One is that you can still do it faithfully. You can still do it faithfully as an act of service. It's still helping someone, and there can be a certain pleasure in that. Like I talked about the chairs. The person who is, you know, spinning that yarn probably isn't thinking about how that, that chair could be a blessing to somebody. But every small act of service can be a blessing. Okay, so you, and you may have to wait for heaven for, to be completely fulfilled with your job. And, and that might be where God has put you in life. Okay, another option is that you may be miserable because God is calling you to do something else, but you're afraid to take that step out in faith and do what he has called you to do and make the change. Okay, so if God is calling you to do something other than what you are actually doing, sometimes that can make you miserable, and sometimes that's for a purpose. And then I want you to consider that there might be a distinction between your job and the pursuit of the calling God has placed in you. Apostle Paul is an example of that. Okay, so the Apostle Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He was called to preach the gospel to them, but he was also a tent maker. You see, making tents was part of God's calling, but it was not the main heart of God's calling. So some people do other things to free them to do the main thing. And then finally, if you're one of those rare people who finds a career that fits your calling from the very beginning, just remember that that is a blessing and not a right. So the point is that no matter what you do, when you do it as an act of worship, you are fulfilling God's purposes in creation. Number two, worshipful work pursues the highest standards of excellence. Okay, so it naturally follows point one, That if our work is being done unto God, it should be done according to the highest standards of excellence as an offering to God. Paul writes in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. It says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. So it says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord. Right, so whether you're sorting empties at the grocery store, or signing contracts at the bank, or building houses, or paving roads, or teaching kids, whatever you do, you should always aim to do it exceptionally well. There's a guy named Brother Lawrence who was a monk in the 1600s, and I want to read something that was written about him. This is actually from Wikipedia, but I've studied him, so this is true. Right, it says, he made his vows in 1642. He spent the rest of his life in a monastery where his primary assignments were working in the kitchen and in his later years repairing sandals. Despite his lowly position in life, 
and in the small monastery. His character attracted many to him. He had a reputation for experiencing profound peace, and visitors came to seek spiritual guidance from him. The wisdom he passed on to them in conversation and in letters would later become the basis for the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And if you've never read that or heard of it, I cannot more highly recommend this book. It, it's a life-changing book, The Practice of the Presence of God. But don't miss, he spent 40 years washing dishes in a monastery. This is a sample of what Brother Lawrence wrote. Uh, Brother Lawrence said, We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying in the pan for the love of him. And that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself before him in worship, to him who has given me the grace to work. Afterwards I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Now imagine this or think about this. 300 years later after, after Brother Lawrence passed away, I'm standing here sharing his words with you. 300 years and some change later, people are still growing closer to Jesus Christ because of a dishwasher in a monastery in France who did his job exceptionally well and earned the respect of people outside of him. Your excellence can be your greatest witness. Number three, worshipful work reflects the highest standards of ethics. You know, what shocks me in our culture anymore, it is, it's not... Uh, a lack of integrity in politics. It's not a lack of integrity in sports. Now, it's not a lack of integrity in secular businesses. Uh, what really shocks me is the lack of integrity in businesses run by people who profess to be Christians. In the last two weeks, as I was kind of preparing, um, I read dozens of stories of people who were ripped off by people who claimed to be Christians, contractors who were doing downright dangerous work to people's houses to the point where people couldn't live in these houses anymore, and then fleeing the state once everything caught up to them. Uh, landscapers who advertised prominently on Christian radio stations as being a faith-based business and organization, and they show up late, they leave a mess, and then they bill people for more work than they actually did. I could go on and on. Like I said, I read dozens and dozens of stories like this. Proverbs 11.1 1 says this, it says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And so we easily see like those earlier examples as false balances, right? As somebody said that they would do this, but they actually did this. It's a false balance. But what else is a false balance is the smaller things or things that we think of as smaller things, like a fudged mileage report or padding a business expense or calling in sick when you're not or procuring office supplies for your personal use. God says those things are an abomination to him. You see, to work and worship God in your work means living by ethical standards that are even higher than the world's. And that means that the things that the world says are okay may not be okay for us. There's a leadership book that I like. It's called The Armed Forces Officer. It might not be really applicable, but I think that um, what I like about this more than other leadership books is it's more about character than about how to make money. Um, and so I think part of this crosses over really well to how we should live and serve as Christians. In 1946, the general of the Air Force, um, Henry Hap Arnold, said this about integrity. He said, integrity is a character trait. It is willingness to do what is right, even when no one is looking. It is the moral compass, the inner voice, the self-control, the basis for the trust imperative in today's military. Now, you could sub the word military for church there, and it would read the same. 
Integrity is the basis for the trust imperative in today's church. It also says, when what we do matches what we think and how we believe and what we say, the outcome is an integrated whole. That whole is integrity. There are people who are just waiting to see you as a Christian fail. There are people who would love nothing more than to see you fall into temptation, particularly, I think, in our culture with money and with intimate relationships. We have to guard ourselves against those things. And the way we guard ourselves against those things is by living to the highest ethical standard. Ethical conduct is a lifelong pursuit that speaks to our character and it builds up our character. And our character, as Thomas Paine once wrote, is much easier kept than recovered. Character is something that you can lose in an instant. And it is gone. And it takes a lifetime to build. Psalm 15 says this. It says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Number four, worshipful work makes blessing others the bottom line. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus then said this in Matthew 20, 26 through 28. Jesus said, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus used his position of strength to bless us. He gave up his position of strength to be a blessing on our behalf. And so when we follow Jesus, that's what we do too. We leverage our strengths and our talents and our gifts to bless others. So the focus of worshipful work it's not how much money I can make. It's not how cool of a destination I can live in. It's not, you know, what kind of a lifestyle I can live. It's how can I bless others. Again, you know, we go back to the simplest of tasks. You know, we need to look at those and, and think, how can I use this to be a blessing to someone else? That should be our bottom line. And what that means is that there might be things that we can do that will make us money, but that doesn't make them right. I think about, like, the medical field. Like, just because, you know, a certain surgery is available and you can make a lot of money doing this type of surgery in the medical field doesn't mean that that's the right thing to do. It might not be blessing someone else. Okay, before we go on to the last one, I want to point out something. Because many people wonder how to be an effective witness for Jesus in the workplace. And I want to tell you that just doing these four things will set you apart as someone who is radically different from the other people you work with. Doing those first four things will show people that you're different. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 says this. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. So you see, Scripture tells us that if we do these things, if we work hard, if we, you know, keep to ourselves, we just work, we work with excellence, we live with integrity, that 
People who are not believers will respect the way we live. Folks, if you do these things, you will start to see those ministry opportunities unfold. If you're wondering how to approach people in the workplace, just work hard, and I'm telling you, those opportunities will come to you. People will start to ask you questions like, hey, when the boss gets after you, why do you all, how do you stay so calm? Or why are you always so joyful? Like, this job sucks. Why, why, do you, why do you come here with a smile on your face every day? Right? And that's your opportunity to share what God has done in your life. That's your opportunity to share how he's working in you to make you a person that can be filled with joy even in a difficult circumstance. And so the question is that, is that happening right now? Is that happening in your place of business? Is that happening where you work? Are you, are you working so hard with such excellence and integrity and grace that people just sense the reality of a hope and an unseen kingdom in you and they just have to ask you what it is that makes you different. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. It says, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about the hope, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You need to be ready and prepared for these moments because they will come and go in an instant. Before you're even ready, if you're not prepared, these opportunities will come and go before you even knew what happened. And so always be ready to explain what God has done and is doing in your life. Because if you're doing these four things, like I said, people are going to start coming to you. It can almost be overwhelming, but it will happen. So we need to be ready. And this brings us to the last point, number five. Worshipful work seeks to advance Jesus' mission where it can. Um, On Friday... Uh, a few of us were at the Great Lakes Regional Conference of the Wesleyan Church uh, down in Holland as we merged the several districts to become the Great Lakes region. And our new regional superintendent is a guy named Chris Conrad. And I want to tell you, this guy is amazing. He is absolutely on fire for the Lord, and he is 100% laser-focused on reaching the lost. There are 22 million people who don't know Jesus in the Great Lakes region, and he is focused on using the church to reach those people. And he shared a a message with us, and this illustration struck me. Uh, You remember the group of boys in Thailand who were trapped in a cave just a few, maybe a few months ago or a month ago? So you remember there was this huge rescue operation for these boys trapped in a cave. There were hundreds of people who gathered together to to take this really, really brave rescue. One diver even actually lost his life trying to save these young men. And, you know, you see the pictures of people with scuba gear and and loading things into the cave and pulling them out. And and they went in and they rescued these boys. And so speaking of the mission of the church and this fight for lost souls that is going on around us, Pastor Conrad said, God's calling on the church looks a lot more like a rescue mission than it does a potluck. Now, go to the picnic, okay? I'm not telling you... I'm not telling you picnics are bad. I'm not saying potlucks are bad. Like, go to the picnic and have fun. Okay, that is a huge part of what we do as a church, is fellowshipping with each other, getting to know each other, and worshiping God in that way. Don't, don't skip out on that just because I said, you know, it's more of a rescue mission than a potluck. But the focus of the church is not potlucks. There are churches out there who you would think that their mission is doing potlucks, and they do them good. Right? They, that's what they do is potlucks. But that is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is a rescue mission. And what I love about that image is that rescuers don't just wing it. Rescuers don't just kind of fly by the seat of their pants and hope it works out. Rescuers don't set up shop in a safe space and just wait for the people who need to be rescued to come to them. Okay? Rescuers have a plan. 
Rescuers have a target. They know who they're going out to rescue. They know the name of the person that they are trying to reach. Rescuers are prepared. They are ready to go in. And they are willing to do whatever it takes. Rescuers are willing to take risks. And even if they fail, they will never give up. Rescuers don't quit. Heaven relentlessly pursues every single lost soul. Relentlessly. Heaven relentlessly pursues every single lost soul. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations, but he begins that command by saying, therefore, go. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. There were 40 miracles that took place in the book of Acts. And out of those 40, 39 of the miracles took place outside the walls of the church. Almost everything that happened in the books of Acts as, as, our, as the church was formed took place outside the walls of the church. So ask yourself, did God give me this ability or this job or this desire or this interest? Did he put me in this circumstance or put me in this circle of people to advance his kingdom to places in this community and far beyond that others cannot go? Did he put me in this place to reach people that other people in this church don't have the influence to be able to reach? Every single person in this room is called. There's a, there's a misconception that only people who, you know, speak from the pulpit or lead the worship or get paid by the church are called, or, or minor league baseball players, you know, they get the call. But everybody in this church is called. Everybody in here is part of the mission. No matter where God has you, no matter what your job is, he has given you the opportunity to worship him through your work and to lead others to him through that influence that you have earned by being someone who works hard, who is honest, and who cares about other people, and who makes God the focus. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> we're, we're low on time. That was a lot in a short amount of time. And so I want to recap as I call the music team up. Um, we'll go over these points again, okay? Number one, worshipful work fulfills God's purpose in creation. Number two, worshipful work pursues the highest standards of excellence. Folks, those two points, if you just remember those two points, if you're in a toxic work environment, which is what Pastor Brooks is going to talk about in a few weeks, if you're suffering through a toxic work environment, if you remember those two points, those can set you free. Knowing that you work for God and not men can set you free from the the duties and the, the pressure that you put on yourself to please someone who may be unpleasable. Number three, worshipful work reflects the highest standards of ethics. Number four, worshipful work makes blessing others the bottom line. And number five, worshipful work seeks to advance Jesus' mission where it can. Folks, I hope that that was a blessing to you. Um, I know that it probably felt like being sprayed with a fire hose because that's how it felt for me. Um, there's just so many different things that you can talk about when you talk about work because everybody has a difficult situation or a different situation. I know that some of your situations are difficult. Um, they're hard. I know that you struggle through it. And I, I may not have spoken specifically to that issue, but I strongly believe that if you follow God's word and you worship him at your work, that all those other things will fall into place. And, and even if it doesn't, even if you struggle through it for your whole life, at the end, you're going to stand before him one day and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father God, make sense of that. 
Help us to understand all these things, Lord. As we look at integrating our worship into our whole lives, help us to understand how to do that. Help us to remember to do that, Lord. Sometimes we just get so busy with other things that we forget to pause and worship you as we're doing these things. Lord, I pray for all the different situations like we talked about. There are so many different circumstances going on that we couldn't possibly talk about each one of them, Lord. But you are God overall. You are a God who sees what's going on in each one of our lives, Father, and you are in control. And we ask that you would pour out your grace into those situations. We ask that you would fill us with your wisdom and we ask that you would help us to learn to walk with you, not just on Sundays, Lord, but every day. Lord, that we wouldn't just thank God it's Friday, that we would thank God it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday as well. That we would live every day of our lives for you, God. I pray for each and every situation, Lord, where where people are working in a toxic environment. I pray that your spirit would be upon them and that you would give them the grace to handle those situations. Lord, I pray for our college students who are here today as they are preparing for the job, Lord. I pray that you would start opening doors for them now. I pray that you would give them the energy and the time to focus and to study and to learn about the careers that they are going to uh, undertake so that they can go out into the workforce and they can do their jobs with excellence. I pray that you would put strong Christians around them to build them up so that they can reflect the highest standards of ethics when they go out into the workplace. And I pray that we would each be filled, Lord, with a sense of of a desire to bless others through every single thing we do. Like Brother Lawrence, Lord, no matter how big or how small, let every task we do be done with a heart set on worshiping you and on blessing others. Father God, we love you and we lift this time up to you. We thank you and as we continue to worship, we pray that it would be a sweet sound to your ears. We love you, God, and in Jesus' name we pray.